1: In three, two, one. 2, 1. When do we take control of our lives and our
4: destiny. We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now what this is, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the
3: one for cork and ready to talk. Can we
1: just talk? Call
3: 1850-715-996 Text or WhatsApp 83 396
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
3: The lines are live
1: Let's kickstart the conversation
3: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
1: On Cork's 96fm
5: <laughs> Someone just said this morning to me God, Catherine Martin would be the next Taoiseach If the Greens managed to get that proposal through about changing the opening hours and the licensing laws and bringing us all in line with the rest of Europe and the rest of the civilized world, where if you want another pint at one o'clock, you can have another pint at one o'clock. Some people feel that way. Other people think it will be the worst thing that could ever happen to us. We'll discuss that during the morning. We'll find out what is happening with the America's Cup because it's on again and off again and on again and off again and on again and off again. It looks like now a lot of people don't want it because, well, that would be like a reward for Simon Coveney for what's happened during the summer. There's also the fact that it will probably cost us about €150 million Euro before a boat comes anywhere near it. So all that's being considered. And the organisers are kind of looking at us going, lads, will you make up your flipping minds? poo or get off the pot. That's coming up in the morning. We've been finding out a bit more about what might happening with the Christmas opening. Actually, more places closed last Stephens' day than we thought about. So all that, we'll return to all of that during uh, this morning's programme and indeed anything else that's on your mind. You know where we are. 1850 We particularly love your WhatsApp voicemails at 0835 396 96 96 just record your voice message and pop it across to us and that's another way you can contribute to the program what we don't know at this stage of the COVID-19 pandemic and good to see the numbers by the way good to see the numbers again on the wane a little the averages are coming down they're all headed in the right direction that's good to see but what we don't know just yet is what's going to happen with booster vaccines We've been hearing for months now that people might need a third dose, particularly the elderly, particularly those who are immunocompromised or immunosuppressed, which, as we learned a long time ago, are two different things entirely. But there was a new report in the Lancet Medical Journal, one of the most respected medical journals in this part of the world, indeed, in the last few days, that vaccines that we have at the moment are effective enough. So there is no need for these boosters to go out into the general population. We seem to be quite divided on them at the moment. So let's call in uh, someone who's been a regular correspondent on the programme since the start of the pandemic, and always uh, a pleasure uh, to have him with us and to uh, pick his brain, as it were. That's Professor Kingston Mills from Trinity College. Kingston, good morning, and thanks for being with us again. Good morning, PJ. Pleasure. Now, what is the story, Kingston? Because the the, the, the report... In the Lancet would appear to tell us that, you know, people who are lucky enough to have good, robust health in general and have been fully vaccinated don't really need a booster. Would you agree with that?
6: I, I would actually. I think that that article was mi- misrepresented a lot in the media. They, 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 if you read the article carefully, what the people are writing, and two of them were ex-FDA officials, and others were eminent scientists throughout the, the United States. And the, the U.S. has taken the view that they're going to boost, you know, m- most of the population, um, which is a bit at variance with the rest of the world. Um, the UK have decided over fifties, mm-hmm. and of course Ireland has decided only over eighties and o- over. Over 65s in, in long-term residential care. I think you know, the, the, somewhere in between the UK and Ireland. I think my personal view would be it should be. I don't think healthy under six-year-olds, 60-year-olds rather, right now need a booster. Um, you know, people that have that have an adequate immune response and responded well to the vaccine are going to be protected against severe disease, even against the Delta variant. They mightn't be protected against mild disease, and there are some vaccine breakthroughs. And you know, the latest data we have suggested about. of all the cases we have daily are as a result of vaccine breakthroughs, but a lot of those don't get severe disease. So the reason we want to boost is to stop those vaccine breakthroughs. And they tend to occur in people that haven't responded so well to the vaccine. So people that don't respond so well are the older people where the immune system is weakening a bit as you age, people with, as you said, with immunosuppressive, um, um, you know, associated with a disease or associated with a treatment for a disease. So these people definitely do need to be boosted and it would be really advantageous for them to get a third immunisation.
5: Now we, we read or and we heard a lot during the summer months that, that Pfizer in particular was aware of what it would need to do to the vaccine to if, if you like um, take on Delta. Has yeah. that happened? Because we, are we still giving out what you might call the original vaccine or has any of them been upgraded yet to take on Delta?
6: Well, that's a very good point. And the answer is that all the vaccines that have been administered are the same as the original vaccine. The companies, including Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca and indeed Johnson Johnson are all working on modified versions of the vaccine. But these have to be tested mm-hmm. and proved by the regulatory agency. And that does take some time. They don't have to go to the same level of stringent, huge phase three tests that originally went through because there's just a slight variation on the original vaccine. But nevertheless, they have to be shown to be safe before they're going to be approved Proved again. So right now, Pfizer and Moderna, for example, what they've done is they, they've done small phase three trials but the original vaccine where they've given a third dose to people that already got two doses of the same vaccine. And they showed in those trials that they significantly boosted the antibody responses. These are the, the molecules that protect us from the infection. So three to tenfold higher in people who got got the third dose. And, and, and that means that, you know, some of the vaccines are struggling to cope with the Delta variant mm-hmm. and people that don't respond as well. But if you give those a booster, you make a much better chance that they will be protected to get the delta variant
5: Cause there's no doubt that the vaccines are, are helping with with the delta variant are, are you saying to me there that again come back to someone who's in good robust general health anyway and has a fairly well functioning immune system in normal times if they're fully vaccinated their system can handle delta is that what you're saying
6: um, I'm saying that some of these do get infected and yes. um, you know uh, uh, there are young people who who have been fully vaccinated who are getting infected by and large these people don't end up in hospital and that's good news whereas the, you know, in the past the older ones might have ended up in hospital um, so it does protect against severe disease and it may not protect against mild disease in everybody in fact the efficacy is probably down around you know 80 something percent against even, even um, um severe disease mm-hmm. with, the, with the Pfizer and, and lower than that with, with the AstraZeneca. But against against um, hospitalisation the efficacy is still over 90%. Okay. But there still will be a small number, especially the older population that have got um, two doses of vaccine who may um, get infected and who may end up in hospital. And that's the reason why we need to use the boosters to stop that.
5: In the UK, as you mentioned, it's going to be everybody uh, over 50. But I read that depending on what you're getting you, you get a full dose of Pfizer but a small dose of Moderna what's that about?
6: Okay, so in the original um, um, vaccines that were put on the market from Moderna, the dose was hundred micrograms. That's a you know a measure of the amount of mRNA that was in the vaccine. Whereas for the the Pfizer vaccine was thirty micrograms, so about threefold less in the Pfizer vaccine. And the reason for that is sort of you know it was it wasn't it was based on what the companies had done in the early trials. They tested several doses and they hit on a dose which they thought was going to be the most effective. And It's a balance between Reactogenicity or side effects versus efficacy in protecting against infections. So you don't want to have the dose too high, or you get more side effects, and you don't want it too low, or you get less effect in terms of protection. So, Pfizer hit on, on 30 and Moderna hit on 100. And now, what what Moderna have done, they've had the other trials, they've shown that even 50, which is a half the original dose, is just as effective. So, that's why they've gone for the lower dose for the booster, which is still higher than the Pfizer um, dose, which is now 50 versus thirty, so I think there's nothing wrong with that it's prudent and, and very often when you boost a response, you don't need a strong uh, vaccine as when you're giving the primary dose, so it all makes scientific
5: sense because effectively you're just reminding the immune system hello yeah. just reminding you
6: exactly and you're boosting those those right. T cells and B cells that do the protection, and smaller doses of the vaccine can do it as effectively as a larger dose, but yeah. for the primary dose you you know the bigger the dose, the better
5: yeah. in in earlier conversations with us on the opinion line uh, professor you, you, you told me that you alone in your own inbox were seeing dozens and dozens of different pieces of research every day which left, gave you great confidence that science was winning this race and everything that de- that that covid did science was working to to counteract that is the research still at that high level
6: Absolutely. I mean, the, the amount of papers that are coming out on COVID-19 in general, whether it be in vaccines or in, in terms of treating the disease, is just tremendous. Um, and the ways of treat people who are unfortunate enough to end up in hospital and get severe disease now, the treatment for those is much, much more um, you know, honed and, and, and the, the drugs that they're using, it's simple drugs like steroids mm. and antithrombotic drugs that are turning out to be very effective. And even some of the drugs that were used to treat arthritis and other autoimmune diseases have been tested. Some of them have worked reasonably well, but others not so well. So the treatment for the disease has actually improved as well as, the, as, the, as of course, the vaccine. And the vaccine has been the huge success story. I mean, it's unimaginable that in 18 months we would effectively have controlled this pandemic through vaccination. I mean, it is an extraordinary achievement in science.
5: <laughs> when you got when you found yourself in hospital in the early days of this pandemic, the virus could ravage your body and do untold damage. And we all know of someone who unfortunately passed away, but and not because of the virus itself, because of the damage the virus did to their body. We're much more effective now at preventing that damage, are we?
6: Well, I mean, one of the big, big issues that hasn't really been resolved yet is this long COVID, which yeah. is the, um, the sort of the remnants of the infection that people have. And it's, you know, the older people, it's it's pre, it can be pretty severe, very severe, and it can last for well over a year. Um, and in younger people, it's milder, but it can still be there. A small proportion, even, even um, you know, uh, children the age of 4 to, to 12 can have a small proportion that can, can have if symptoms that persist from more than two months so it is a debilitating disease and it's not something that you really want to get no matter not. what age you are and what no how healthy
5: you are are we any and, closer to a vaccine for children then
6: yeah i mean the vaccines are being tested right now the same vaccines that are used in adults have been tested in the younger children it's obviously been given to the 12 plus year olds but it's it's also been tested in 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 the five to 12 year olds mm. and it's highly effective it seems in terms of inducing antibodies we don't know yet the efficacy of for In terms of protection against disease, but it's very likely to work very effectively in that age group. Because I guess
5: realistically, it's it's where 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 one place that it is rampant at the moment, Professor, is in the schools, and people are worried about that. You know,
6: if you look at the numbers of cases um, right now in the Irish uh, system, the last two weeks there have been three and a half thousand cases amongst the five to twelve-year-olds. That's the highest number in any age group. Around accounts for around eighteen percent of all the cases. So that number, that percentage, is going to increase. as the other populations are vaccinated. So you'll see the the dominant um, numbers of cases will be in the the five to 12-year-olds in a few weeks' time.
5: And is it, again, you mentioned long COVID, is it dismissive to say, well, children don't get sick, so that's okay?
6: It is dismissive, I'm afraid. Um, Some children get quite sick, um, a small proportion. And then a big UK study done recently showed that 2% of children... Um, have symptoms that persist for more than two months that get infected and 4% have symptoms that persist for more than one month and a lot of them are out of school of course and then their education is affected as a result so so you know it, it's not a trivial disease yeah. even in, in those in, in those in that, in that age group
5: Question has come in from a listener professor on boosters and it's a good one if you got AstraZeneca or if you got Johnson & Johnson uh, what's the story with a booster will you get a Pfizer or a Moderna? <laughs>
6: you would get an mRNA vaccine of Pfizer or Moderna. Um, After some reluctance, it has to be said, um, and people like myself making noise in the media um, that the need to boost with mRNA vaccines, the NIAC have decided that everybody will be boosted with um, an mRNA vaccine regardless, eventually if they're going to get a booster, regardless of whether it was an an mRNA or a virus-vector vaccine that they got on the first round of immunisation.
5: Which is good news
6: because with a boost Effect and that the studies in the UK and other places showing that the boosting effect of the mRNA on top of the adenovirus vector really works very effectively. Yeah,
5: H- heterologous, uh, vaccination, heterologous
6: vaccination. Yes. vaccination.
5: Yeah. I, I, I will eventually get my head around that <laughs> word. <I've been> trying, <laughs> for, trying it for months. Uh, initially, there was talk that we might have to, for vulnerable people, work this into the annual flu jab for many years going forward. What's the thinking on that now?
6: Yeah, I think that's quite likely. I mean, you know, if you look at flu, I mean, flu varies each year and we need an updated vaccine each year to take care of the latest variant. I think um, it's very likely that COVID-19 will be the same. We will probably roll it in with the, you'll see it rolled in probably with the the annual flu vaccination. Hopefully, you know, a year from now, we won't be having this conversation because COVID-19 will be part of the sort of the annual seasonal um,
5: infection that, we worry about, and we mm. just have a vaccine that's, that'll deal with it. That's the, the principle of endemic, isn't it?
6: Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it'll just become um, a, a disease that is another one that we, you know, on the list of, of diseases. But the really good thing is it's one of those diseases, unlike something like HIV or hepatitis C, where we don't have vaccines and are still an issue, yeah. um, especially HIV. Um, you know, we, we have now um, a, a virus that hopefully, you know, once once Everybody that is eligible for a vaccination gets vaccinated. It'll be under control. And then the developing world has to be vaccinated. And that's the next big step to, to eliminate it, not just in Ireland and yes. Europe, but globally.
5: And, and the WHO is very strong on that at the moment. You know, there's, it's kind of saying, look, forget your boosters, except for the absolutely vulnerable. Get the whole world vaccinated rather than boosting those. In rich countries, yeah,
6: I mean, there's a very good case for that. Um, I think personally, I think that the you know the resources needs to be given to countries like India. India have a fantastic biotech industry, pharma industry. And they can make millions of doses of vaccines if, if given the resources. So, I think that's what needs to happen. They need to be resourced to make, and and, and China can do it as well, and, and even in Brazil, so mm. these countries need to be resourced to make loads of doses. Did did, did, of vaccines. I, did
5: I read somewhere in the in the in the summer uh, professor that actually India's got one of the biggest Industries in the world for production of vaccine doses.
6: They do. The wow. company, there's two, there's two major companies, Bharat Biotech and the Serum Institute of India, which have a massive capacity, and they've even bought into the, recently into the into the European market. They've they've they acquired vaccine manufacturing sites in Europe with a view to getting into the European market. So they're that far advanced. Yeah. I mean, people think that India is a is a backward country in terms of the biotech. It certainly is not impertinent, and areas of it are very very advanced and they have really got the, the wherewithal and the technology to to make vaccines very effectively.
5: Two more brief questions for you before I let you go. First of all, the horror story, and I guess you could watch enough documentaries and enough movies, the horror, the horror prospect of a mutation that is vaccine-proof and much more dangerous. Yeah. Is, is that still out
6: there? It is, unfortunately. There's a variant called the Mu variant, which is in now in 44 countries, including Ireland. Small numbers here. But in, in South America, it's spreading rapidly. In Colombia, it accounts for over 40% of all the cases. This variant um, is a version of, uh, a further version of the Brazilian and similar to the South African variant. And if people remember, they may not, that when the trials were done in South Africa against, where the South African variant, the, which is now called the Beta, variant was um, circulating that the AstraZeneca vaccine only had 10% efficacy against that variant and South Africa stopped using the AstraZeneca vaccine as a result. So that 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 variant, the Mu variant, is a, is a, is a, a more insidious version of the South African and Brazilian variants. So it, it is really going to be more tricky for the vaccine to deal with than the Delta variant. Now the good news is it's not as transmissible as the Delta and that, mm. that leads to suggest that it won't push out the delta variant okay. that the delta variant will still dominate okay
5: and lastly this time this time last year uh, mid-september last year Nefit were very worried about the situation that was developing with rising case numbers and people like you and i when we we're having conversations like this we very worried about the winter ahead i think we can feel a lot safer and sleep a lot sounder in our beds now professor I think so, yeah.
6: I mean, look, the the vaccines have been tremendously effective. There are still some unfortunate people who have been double vaccinated who've got infected. But by and large, most of those will not end up in hospital. Um, The others that are not vaccinated are taking a serious risk about not being vaccinated because you're putting yourself at risk of getting the infection and ending up in hospital. So that's for the older cohort that decided not to get vaccinated. Indeed, the younger as well. So, So, you know, my advice to everybody is go out and get vaccinated. Um, and for the younger cohorts, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the uptake will be like finally in the in the secondary schools. Hopefully that'll be high. It's looking very good at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're heading for 90% of the entire population over 12 vaccinated. This is one of the best in the world. So Ireland has really done a fantastic job, both the health authorities and the public in terms of buying into the vaccine because they see the benefit of it. And it is clear to everybody that the vaccine is the solution, along with, of course, the traditional methods of social distancing, wearing masks, etc. But but if it wasn't for the vaccine, we would not be where we are now in terms of looking forward to a sort of a normal life again.
5: All right, listen, thanks as always for being with us on the Opinion Line, Professor of Experimental Immunology at Trinity College, Kingston Mills. Thank you, Kingston. Always a pleasure to have you on the programme.
1: Can we just talk?
3: The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
3: Corks Gold Emerald Award-winning sports show. Right, right here.
1: The Score, on Cork's 96FM. Join me,
3: Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2, for the best music
6: mix and all the latest sport as we focus on a busy weekend of Gaelic Games action while in the Premier League,
5: Man U travel to West Ham and Tottenham face Chelsea in a London derby.
1: Right here, right there.
5: Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m.
1: with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See Firebird.ie right here, right now, yeah.
5: on Corks 96 FM. I'd rather a lot to get through at the top of the program, so I said I'd keep this one to now. She's on air and Half an hour uh, up on C103. But uh, congratulations are due to our colleague and friend from sister station C103, Patricia Messenger, who yesterday was inducted into the Irish Radio Hall of Fame. She's up there now with people like Gay Bourne and the great George Hamilton, who was inducted yesterday, and, and many others over the years. It is the highest honour that our industry in this country can bestow and well well deserved uh, by patricia who has presented the same show on the same radio pro, radio station in the same time slot heading up now for 31 years so congratulations to patricia and uh, on the induction into the irish radio Hall of Fame. Delighted for you. 1850 715 Yesterday we were looking at plans for Christmas in the supermarkets. You see this morning where deals have announced that they will close on December 26th on St Stephen's Day. And we were wondering what the others would do. Did a little bit of checking Yesterday, Dunn's closed on Stephen's Day last year and apparently have done so for a number of years. Aldi and Little both closed on St. Stephen's Day last year. In Tesco's, it was varied. Uh, Some places closed or you operated shorter hours, others didn't. Again, with Super Value Centra, depending on the location or the size of the shop, or, or indeed who has the franchise. Uh, they ch- varied whether they opened or not on St. Stephen's Day and the same with Spar. But the big names, Duns, Aldi, Little, uh, all closed last year on the 26th. Deals have announced that they will and Tesco haven't announced any plans, but last year uh, they were varied. And again, we're asking you the question, do you think that they should all close on St. Stephen's Day? Bournemouth Drive in Black Rock Bit of traffic, here. travel news Beaumont Drive in Black Rock Closed until midday There are roadworks there A few comments coming in about vaccines and about COVID I'll hold them Because your newspapers are full of another story today Someone said earlier this morning Captain Martin will be tea shook if this happens I, I'm not too sure that's the plan But we'll see The Green Party are behind a plan And Captain Martin, Minister for arts and culture and entertainment and whatever you have in yourself she is bringing forward a plan to change our licensing laws in a dramatic fashion, to give us the kind of open-ended licensing laws that we see in other countries. I've long since said that we have some of the most restrictive licensing laws in Europe, in this country the idea that we must all be closed and thrown out with the. at the moment it's 11 o'clock seven nights a week that's all due to change I know at the end of October when we go back to normal times but it's half 11 Monday to Thursday half 12 Thursday, Friday 11 o'clock Sunday all year round, and then you have the nightclubs, they need to get special exemptions. If your local pub wants to stay open for something like a jazz weekend or whatever, it has to get a special exemption. Councillor Martin wants to change all that to modernise our our drinking uh, and licensing laws. Uh, Green Party Council in Cork is Oliver Moore and joins me now. Oliver, good morning to you.
7: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, um, he- it was It was... Yeah. While you're introducing it, I, I was listening to, to, you know, just talking, for example, about, you know, opening hours of, on, on Stephen's Day. And it actually reminded me, it's it's kind of the same issue. You know, like when I was young, you know, nothing opened on Stephen's Day. Nothing opened on Christmas Day. But times have moved on. Yeah. um, And these, these kind of questions now are, are just, it's the same question. What do you want to do at nighttime? And also, what do you want to do at, at Stephen's Day? And it's, it's, it's no longer kind of a... Kind of a monolithic culture that we have that actually we, we need to have kind of a, a kind of a broader experience and we need to, we need to support yeah. um, more ideas about what happens
5: well I've said for years that i think and from what little bit of travel i've done, I think our licensing laws are among the most restrictive in in europe. the idea that if you if you fancy a point at nine a m why would you but if you fancy one at one a m there's no issue in most other parts of, of Europe. What does What does Minister Martin want to do? 5am is being mentioned. Surely she doesn't want to keep all the pubs and nightclubs open till 5am. Uh, it, it's actually,
7: it's it. It, so I'll roll back a little bit here because what, where all of this has come from is um, there was a task force set up this time last year to look at the whole issue of the, the nighttime economy, um, which should be about more than just pubs. It should not be just about going out and and, and drinking as much as you can before before closing hours. It, it should be about supporting a whole range of activities at ni- in nighttime. And so this report came out yesterday. It's got 36 recommendations in it. Um, changing the licensing laws is, is one of them. But it also it's about encouraging a kind of a, a broader picture of things to do at nighttime. So, you know, pubs are there. They're, they're, they're a mainstay of the Irish nighttime economy. I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. But the this, this sort of things inside there is to do with changing all of the laws, all of the regulations around the nighttime economy, so that it supports other things. So, for example, supporting your know, late night cafes, who might want to sell a drink at the same time, um, but that it it wouldn't be of the same the same go as a pub. Uh, it, it would also support you know all night nightclubs, which you have you know, on the continent, and which there will be a demand for here, and, and everything in between, including supporting. Um, Cultural institutions like the Crawford, uh, you know, staying open late. One of the recommendations, for example, is that there should be every month there should be a late night uh, opening for the Crawford. So it's about, or for institutions like the Crawford. Um, so it's about encouraging a kind of a broader picture of what the nighttime economy should be and then changing the laws and regulations and, and supports around that.
5: Yeah, Something that's always been commented on, Oliver, is the idea that every nightclub, because of the licensing laws, every single nightclub currently closes between two and half past three at the very, very latest. And everybody pours out into the streets, which means a, you can't get a taxi if you're not lucky enough yes. to live on a bus route. A twenty-four-hour bus route. A, you can't get a taxi. B, people have fallen over one another in the streets, which leads to antisocial behaviour and fights and all of that. And that if yeah. if every club chose its own closing time, life would be a lot easier.
7: I, I, it, from a lot of different perspectives, I think you've touched on it. There, one is transport. But just before I get onto the transport thing, it also encourages a, you know, a, a very kind of single-minded view of what the nighttime economy should be. Um, and a, a very single-minded view. You know, I I've often been in a kind of a, a, a late bar and felt like going home at one o'clock. But sure, you don't go home at one o'clock. Cause two o'clock is going home, you know. And and it, you know, it encourages people to stay out often longer than they than they should, or otherwise would want to. And then you have the issue with with everybody hitting the streets at, at the one time, um, and all of the issues to go go around to that. And that includes uh, issues to do with policing, uh, but also, like you said, transport and like. Just to give you a, a picture of the kind of the breadth of the sort of things that are recommended in this report, transport is is seen as there because, for example, for for something on which people regularly say to me, people who live in Glenmire, for example, if they want to come into the city centre, um, you know, what are the options for them getting home? There's no there's no 24-hour bus uh, between a place like like Glenmire and, and the city centre. Uh, you know there 's no cycle away, uh, so you know they're they 're either dependent on their 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 car uh, in which case they can 't have a drink or they' they 're reliant on taxis in which case there's there 's that massive demand that that 's building out time uh, so the report includes also things like you know we, we have to think about how we we get people in and out of our city centers, and also interesting, one thing that struck me was uh about rural areas as well um like that's that 's often the thing that, that comes up. You, you might even think of one or two TTs who, who who talk about it quite a lot, but about about you know supporting people in rural areas getting to the pub, getting to local restaurants, and then getting back again, um, and ideas about relaxing uh, taxi laws in rural areas so that you know, it would be easier to to allow people to to go into kind of you know being kind of part-time local taxis.
5: A lot of pubs are in residential areas or close to them, Oliver, and I can imagine that people. In residential areas, with small children and trying to sleep, or people trying get up for work in the morning, would dread the thought of the local being open till two or three a.m.
7: Yeah, um, and that's that, that's another uh, like I know she she's my party colleague and all, but I was really impressed with the the, the, kind of the, the whole span of this report. So, first of all, just on, like on, on a kind of a more of a technical thing before I get into the whole kind of you know kind of deeper problems that people have. One of the things which was called out there. Which is apparently becoming a, a more of an issue uh, in city centres like our own um, is the idea of, of when you you know you, you, we want more people to live to be living in the city centre, uh, but you know then there's obviously you know noise pollution elements if you're close to kind of your know, cultural activities, clubs, nightclubs, restaurants, um, but that there's no <clears throat> the, the planning laws are kind of agnostic around that. So they they don't have the kind of concept that you know if you're building housing close to some place where there is you know cultural activities going on, nighttime activities going on, you need to build them you know logically to a higher spec. Um, and what happens, in, in, or the experience from other cities uh, when they start you know b- you know bringing people back living in the city centre is that this then you know, has a negative effect on uh, the nighttime economy because you get a lot a lot more complaints. So part of our planning laws need to be reformed mm-hmm. so that if you're living close or if, if, you know, for for new residential areas built close to existing areas, they need to have that. They need to have that kind of extra layer of sound protection. But then also, for what's you know the the complaints which which you have which you brought up there, um, one of the recommendations, and which I'll be i have already been in contact with our directors uh, here in the city about, which I, I I would like Cork to to be part of. There's a recommendation to pilot, um, a nighttime economy committee. Um, for uh for six cities uh, including um allocation of a new staff member who would be uh, uh, you know act as a liaison between between these issues work with the garda work with communities and try and, and and proactively solve the issues that come up now there there was as part of the programme from government, there was a recommendation that Cork and Dublin would have a nightmare. Um, to, st- to explain what that means, it's a nighttime lord mayor for for wanting a better word. Um, somebody who who can who can you know take on these sort of issues and become a kind of a, a czar and a champion for the the can sort I of issues running. that come up with. Exactly, and, and, for, and for the sort of issues that the residents encounter as well, to try and resolve those issues, that there will be someone yeah. with special responsibility around that. So I'm, I'm pushing the court would be part of that pilot.
5: Do you think, Oliver, finally, because I know Leo Radker previously said, previously said that he felt that <coughs> pub and club opening hours should be reformed and, and brought in line with the rest of Europe. So that's the tarnished uh, and Minister for Business on board. Do, do you think that your colleague, Minister Martin, will get this through?
7: I, I'm nearly certain of it, to be honest with you. Um, like one of the things which which stood out to me in the report was that every that, so there was thirty six action items. Each one had a date. Each one had, had who was responsible for delivering on that on that time. Uh, the the timeline for the reform of the licensing laws was early next year. Okay. So I I, I look. Like we we have now in this report a direction of travel. We we see the principles we want to move towards, um, and then early next year, we're looking at performing those laws.
5: All right, we'll see where it goes. That's Oliver Moran, Green Party, City Councillor in Cork. 36 elements in that report. I would love to get my hands on a copy of it and read them all out, or to myself, I mean. I'm not going to sit here boring you with all 36, but certainly the opening and closing of pubs would change by the new year, sometime in the new year, according to Councillor Moran there. What would you think of that? Like, imagine being in town on a Saturday night, this mass exodus out of all the clubs at two or half past. Well, that'll be gone for a start, but then again, if you're living in a quiet place and the local pub is just off a housing estate, as it is in many places, and the pub is still open at two o'clock on a Monday morning and you're trying to get children up for school and get yourself up for work, and there's fellas lairing around the street at three o'clock in the morning. I'm sure you'd have a different view on the opening hours. What do you think? Let us know, text or call, or indeed WhatsApp voice message. Oh, wait, three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. The phone number, of course, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Paula says, "Pity the poor people who live in rural towns where there's houses and pubs up against each other." Try living in a situation where people will be in and out of the pubs until 5 a.m. shouting and roaring. Taxis will be coming and going. It'll be mean no sleep for local residents and they'll be getting up at 6 o'clock for work. And Kate says, never mind so much about the pubs and nightclubs, although that needs reform. What about you're out doing your shopping at 9 in the morning because you want to do something with the day, but you can't buy a bottle of wine until half 10. How daft is that? I do think the public will need some messaging and campaigning to avoid Rowdiness. I like that idea, Kate. Yeah, you go out, you doing a bit of shopping in the morning. You say, say Saturday morning. You get up reasonably early because you want to do a few things with the day. One or two of the kids might have GA or swimming or you want to, want to go watch a match yourself or do these kind of things. You want to do the shopping maybe at eight o'clock, get it out of the way, get it done, get it into the fridge. But you can't. You can't buy the, the bottle of wine for that evening, or you can't buy the couple of cans of beer for uh, watching telly because you can't sell drink until half past ten. That's another thing that would need to be, or might be reformed under this. Thanks, Kate. 1850
3: 715 996. Can we just talk?
5: Opinion Line
3: on Corks 96 FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. C-M-I-G dot I-E. You guys ready? Watch out or watch out. Big Drive
3: Home, weekdays from four.
1: On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're locked into the Big Drive Home all this week for four hours of the biggest tunes, showbiz interviews, and everything Cork. There's a chance for you to show off your music knowledge on the one-second song, and you could bag yourself a smart speaker on the takeover. All you gotta do is pick the playlist. For that and loads more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. On
5: Cork's 96FM. voice message, I'll play it for you in a minute Uh, listener, not so much talking about the pubs and the clubs and the nightclubs and whatever but picked up on how Oliver Moran opened his conversation with me with regard to the opening of supermarkets on St Stephen's Day and someone fairly annoyed I might tell you about what he had to say I'll come to that in a while I I must confess I haven't been watching uh, the Rotunda it's just something that I don't have time for it in my schedule right now, but I'm aware of the fuss about it, that people are very upset that at a time when we had dreadful restrictions on partners being allowed in for scans and being allowed in for the birth, being allowed in for labour and all that, and it's a thing we've discussed time and time again on the programme. They were very upset that the fact uh, a film crew were allowed into the Rotunda to make a documentary, a film crew that at the time would have to have been unvaccinated because there were no vaccines around at the time. So how was this allowed to happen while partners were sitting outside in the car, desperately worried about what was going on inside for their loved one and their baby, but they had to wait to be called in Linda Kelly, we've talked to many times on the program from the COVID-19 maternity rights campaign. Linda, how did you feel watching that program last week? Good morning.
8: Hi, PJ. Um, Yeah, I really shouldn't have watched it, to be honest, because it made me very upset Mm -hmm. um, for a few different reasons. One, exactly as you said, you know, understanding that they'd been into the hospital, um, you know, while partners were waiting outside. No clarity from the hospital as to what infection prevention control measures they were using or anything like that. um, And just trying to make sense of it all. And then the other piece that was really upsetting was it didn't really show the impact of the restrictions at all on what people have experienced and totally at odds with the messages that we get every night of the week from people and that we still get because these restrictions are still in place in every hospital in the country to some extent. Um, And I think it was just it was really tone deaf um, in terms of the story that it was trying to tell. But ultimately, You know, how the management of the hospital could square away allowing a TV show in to make a documentary, which is ultimately for entertainment purposes and ultimately to generate revenue for RTE, but yet they couldn't find a way to allow one partner Mm -hmm. in for one person.
5: Like, it it's wasn't shocking. enforced in the genre. I mean, there have been many, many documentaries like this. And, and to be fair, when they're made, they're made well. And I'm assuming that proper consent protocols are followed and that everybody is giving their full consent to being part of it and all of that. I just think, like you said, it was at the time and the, and the... background situation that A, wasn't reflected and B, that it happened at all. You had an event last night, I think, called The Real Rotunda. How did that go? It was a Zoom meeting.
8: This is a Zoom meeting. We had over 175 people with us for the hour. Hugely emotional, PJ. Women from across the country, Rotunda patients and not. Uh, Mayo, Mullingar, Cork, Letterkenny. People shared their stories of what they experienced and hugely emotive. There was a number of politicians on the call and I got private messages from some of them this morning to say, I had no idea it was this bad. Those stories are harrowing. Mm-hmm. and it's not that we're looking for the worst stories, you know, not by any stretch of the imagination. Nobody should have to go through this. But the reality is, is that now at this stage of the pandemic, when we know 90% of the population are vaccinated and you can pretty much go about your business as as freely as you want to, uh, apart from, you know, some element of mask wearing. And we still have these restrictions in the maternity oh hospitals. My- They're still in CUMH. And people People want to move on now and they want to revert back to pre-pandemic access for one nominated partner. We're not talking about aunties, uncles, you yeah. know, grannies. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about one nominated support partner for every person attending yeah. the maternity services. That's the minimum of care that women should be because expecting.
5: Even even coming back to, to point out again the fact that the Taoiseach has said he doesn't understand why the restrictions are still in place the Minister for Health has said there's no reason, according to his advice that there should be restrictions in place and what's more, you know, Dr Hullahan the Chief Medical Officer has said there's no good public health reason for restrictions to still be in place now they do leave it down to the individual hospitals and the individual boards of management but when everybody is saying there's no need for restrictions to be still in place you wonder why they are
8: Exactly. And like we've had two meetings now with the HSC at this stage, PJ, and we still don't have a clear answer to that question. You know, progress is being made, but it's it's not going far enough and it's not moving fast enough. So we have another meeting with the HSC on the 29th of September. Very much, you know, the only agenda item is how do we go back to pre-pandemic access and how do we do it safely? Six hospitals in the country have done that mm. um, and have done it safely. So it's really about bringing the other hospitals up to that standard. But also, PJ, we, we've called a march now and a protest for the 6th of October. We announced that last night because we feel that there really isn't enough priority being put on this by the Minister for Health, who, you know, is very good at discussing the issue in the media and saying he wants to see the restrictions end, but he's not doing enough to actually action that. And so we'll be protesting at 1 o'clock on the 6th of October outside Leinster House. I hope it doesn't come to that, I really do, but at this stage, given the indications we have from the HSE, I think you can expect to be talking to me again mm-hmm. closer to what that was, time.
5: Was Lee- giving the autonomy with the individual hospitals wrong
8: There's always an element of local hospitals have to make local decisions, particularly, and we've said this before, you know, if there is an outbreak in CUMH, obviously they'll have to put in place, you know, a particular set of restrictions at that particular time. But ultimately, you know, the hospitals are all funded through the HSE, the HSE reports to the minister. And when they're talking about local autonomy, it's not their intention that hospitals would diverge so much from the national guidelines as they are. That's not the minister's intention. It's certainly not the intention of the um, head people in the HSC who we meet with who devise the guidelines. You know, there is a clear expectation from mm. HSE nationally that the hospitals follow the guidelines.
5: Linda, is it time for women's health and particularly, you know, health surrounding pregnancy and, and motherhood and that kind of thing to be represented at the cabinet table or at least with a devoted and dedicated junior ministry?
8: Absolutely, PJ. I think it's really clear. So many impacts uh, that we've seen during COVID. I think you can draw a line directly back to the fact that there isn't enough women represented at senior decision making tables. And when you look even just at the cabinet subcommittee on COVID, it's six men. And, you know, there's they're too far away from the lived experience of actually going into a maternity service to prioritise it. And that's what we've seen. You know. It's. Mm. We're how long now? We're almost coming up to the two-year mark. You know, we're of the pandemic. Well, one and member of that COVID committee is
5: Michael the- McGrath, who has seven children, so he's not unfamiliar with with maternity hospitals. Don't mean? Mm.
8: He's not, but he, you know, his uh, his youngest child isn't, uh, you know, hasn't been born in COVID. Um, and I think, it, you know, it does make a difference when you have women at the table. And, you know, I we met yesterday with the Oireachtas Women's Caucus, and it was a hugely powerful meeting. It's a yeah. completely different dynamic yeah. to when we meet with the senior people from the HSC. And, um, you know, there's you no know, having to fight about what actually people are experiencing there's no having to convince people of yeah. why a nominated support you're, you're, you're partner you're is so on important. Ver-
5: you're all on, on, on the same page as it were. Linda, wait, I've no doubt we'll come back to you between now and the 6th of October because nothing seems to be changing in terms of restrictions. The hospitals themselves would defend their right to do it and if anyone from the hospital wants to speak with me about why they defend their right to do it we're here. But Linda for now, thank you very much. Linda Kelly and Linda Kelly from the COVID-19 Maternity Rights Campaign.
3: Can we just talk? The
5: Opinion Line on
3: Corks 96 FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
5: Uh, that Catherine Martin and the Green Party have about pub opening hours. Kay says it's important to remember, that's the letter K, not the name, it's important to remember why the laws were introduced in the first place, which, according to Kay, was to ensure that a workforce actually showed up to work in the morning. And two, who benefits from this change, like bar owners. Even bar staff want to work shorter hours after covid and look bars and restaurants and hospitality services are crying out for staff as it is I don't know about that that they were introduced in the first place to ensure a workforce actually showed up to work it's, that's that's an interesting take on it though uh, now wait for the mo oh, I love this Wait for the moaning and the begging peggies to wind up. Oh, I loved it the beg. there's a great expression, a begging peggy. I think it's about time this country caught up to the right era for once. Nighttime social reform, it's a fabulous idea. I don't see locals staying open midweek until 2am, but certainly a great option at the weekend. You can't please everyone, but I do wonder what age group the complainants and moans will come from. Maybe from those who've just forgotten how to live. A nightmare indeed, says Tyke. Are they daft or what? Are the Greens now running the asylum? Well, I like that point that the other person makes there. It, this isn't about every pub in the country being open till two or three a.m. It's about your local having the right to decide that a particular Saturday night or Friday night, very very busy night, we know it's going to be a very very busy weekend, we can just decide that we're going to stay open next to hour or maybe next hour or two, without having to trot into court and pay a lot of money to do it, which is what the situation is now. Yeah, it was more that that thing about the workforce showing up in the morning well, look, it's more to do with religious believe it or not, religious reasons and, and women's rights reformers and, and all of that 1850-715-996 I want to talk about multiple sclerosis and its effect on people during the, the pandemic and how multiple people with multiple sclerosis have actually quite enjoyed working from home because it took the stress of dealing with their disease down a notch, which when you have multiple sclerosis, stress is a big thing for you. I'm going to get to that in a couple of minutes, but I promise i would bring you this. When when Oliver Moran was on talking about the possible reform of licensing laws, he he started by commenting on the opening hours at Christmas, and I had just been through the list of places that will were closed last Christmas on St. Stephen's Day. That was Dunn's and Aldi and Little all closed on St. Stephen's Day. Some Tesco's did, not all. Some Super Value and Centras did, not all. And again, the same with Spar. And this year, Deals has announced it will close on St. Stephen's Day. And to paraphrase what Oliver Moran was saying was, he said, it's an interesting conversation, because at a more secular time, we're still worried about should we all be closing down on St Stephen's Day? Should the, should the pubs and the shops be open on St Stephen's Day? And he was making the point that look in in twenty twenty one, you know, we've we've all got choices that we can make. That's what I was kind of taken from what he was saying. He he seemed pre- interested, very taken aback by the fact that people were so interested in pubs and so our supermarkets closing on St Stephen's Day. It prompted this response on WhatsApp.
1: Does Oliver Moore not think that those who work in the industry serving the public in shops and supermarkets deserve some time off with their family at Christmas on Stephen's day and on the day after? It's appalling, absolutely appalling to think that we're going to lose any sense of family in this country because it's already gone and you've got to look to the littles and the duns and say, yeah, well done. Stop being greedy. They don't. I just think it's appalling. The shops will have been opened for hours extra in the build-up to Christmas. Nobody needs anything on St Stephen's Day in a grocery
5: perspective. I can't say I disagree with much of what she says, I have to say. I've often wondered why would anyone go into a shop early on St Stephen's morning for a sale? Like... Not like there's new stock in it, it's the stuff they couldn't sell two days ago. Anyway, we'll come back to it. 1850 715 996. MS Ireland have launched uh, surveys and research to say that the, the, the pandemic has helped people to have conversations with their employers about the benefits of working from home long term. If you have MS uh, I'm going to to, I'll chat with Cahill in a minute who's a regular listener who has MS but I want to go first to Ava Battles who's the CEO of MS Ireland Ava, good morning Good morning I could imagine why and I have a friend who is dealing with a number of them who are dealing with MS and working from home is a much more relaxed and stress-free environment and if you can do your job well from the spare bedroom or whatever facility you have and you have MS, then you should get the opportunity to stay there full-time, should you not?
2: Yes, as you mentioned, 9 out of 10 people with MS have said that the pandemic actually has helped them steer conversations with their employers about the benefits of working from home long-term, which actually, for a lot of people, wouldn't really have even been entertained before COVID. So exactly what you're saying, I suppose, is that even to be able to have that conversation is very empowering for some, for some people. And also now I think what has happened is employers have seen, even though they had no choice for some places, Employers have seen that people are able to work from home. People are very productive when they work from home. People are able to adapt their working schedule, whether it be in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whatever suits them, Mm -hmm. to ensure that they can get their work done. So I think that's been a very positive piece for people with MS and and lots of people in general in relation to absolutely being able to have that conversation with their employer.
5: I have a friend who's living with MS and, and coming to terms with it. And one thing he said to me recently was stress is a problem. Like his, he obviously has daily things to deal with from his MS. But on a day, if he's stressed, his physical mm-hmm. limitations are worse until yes, he can get rid of that stress.
2: Yes, it's very clear. Stress can be a trigger for many people living with MS and it can amplify and worsen your symptoms. So that is, you know, that is absolutely well known. And obviously, the, that whole piece then of actually carrying your diagnosis and maybe not telling your employer how much that puts a stress on, on you as an individual. And as you've said yourself, just, just even trying to function it on a daily basis. If you are stressed, there is a, probably a higher likelihood that your your symptoms will be amplified and worsened. And obviously, that then is a vicious cycle for somebody.
5: How many people with MS? Ava, particularly in the early stages, are keeping that from their employer for fear of what might happen in their job.
2: Actually, what we found in the research was that eighty-five percent said that they have actually told their employer. Right. Um, and I think that that's a very positive sign. But also, from talking to a lot of people with MS, you we do find that that obviously all comes down to the employer and how open the employer yeah. is and how much the employer has. I suppose, uh, shown and given an environment where there is an open dialogue possible with the employer. Because for a lot of people, if if you look at some of the resources that we have on the website, some of the people with MS who've spoken themselves talk about how important it is for the employer to shift their mindset. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for the employer to just understand what it is MS is. And it's that understanding is the first piece, just that understanding and empathy is the issue that impacts so much on their working life. And then what they're saying, what people with MS are saying is, you know, that sense of relief, that, and they've described it as liberating to tell their employer because it's a huge relief to get off their chest. And that's the words that people use. It's that mm. ability to be able to talk about it, to be able to have that conversation with the employer. Because... Like, the reality is work is a very important part in many, in all of our lives, okay? It helps with our self-esteem, our self-worth. People often, you know, will say to you how important it is that they work, that they can contribute to society. That's how people describe how important it is to work. And also, we all know the workplace is a very significant part in our life, whether it be on a daily, weekly or a yearly basis. It's where we spend an awful lot of time. Mm. So it is extremely important then that we would have that ability to have those conversations with employers, because as you mentioned, that whole stress, carrying that, um, what impact that has on our bodies, and how important it is to be able to have those kind of open dialogue with the employer. Yeah.
5: Okay. And, did did you check in your in your research how many people, if given the choice, would stay at home permanently?
2: Stay at home permanently, or work from work from permanently? home permanently. Like, work with yeah. all huge percentage. Yes. And, and actually, it, what's interesting though is. There's a mix for people. People want the social engagement yeah. in their work, but they want the flexibility. If there was one word that comes out quite a bit, is the flex, being flexible. So it's that ability to be able to, for example, not have to be in work for nine o'clock in the morning with rush hour traffic. Now a lot of this, obviously, we're talking about is the pre-COVID world that we were living in. So you know, maybe that flexibility to start work at ten o'clock where they didn't have to fight with traffic, or the ability to have some rest ba- breaks during the day. Because for a lot of people as well, you have to. Remember, they like the social interaction of their working environment. So it's just that flexibility yeah. to know, OK, do you know, I can have time off for my appointments? I can come in that little bit later. Mm. That's really what people are looking for.
5: Or you can say to your boss, your colleagues, look, I'll be at home for the next couple of days.
2: Yes, exactly. Uh, And we know now, because of COVID, we know now that work still gets done, that people are still very productive. People, you know, are willing to put in the hours when they get the flexibility. So, you know, we know that. So employers should know, Okay, you know, I I can work with this here.
5: Okay. All right, listen, Ava, thank you for speaking to us. That's Ava Battles, CEO of MS Ireland. Now, Cahill uh, contacted us recently. We were talking about MS during the summer. Uh, and uh, Cahill uh, has been living with it for for quite a number of years now. Cahill, will you hold on for me till clear a clearer break? And we'll have a chat. No problem, PJ. Good man. Thanks. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
3: Can we just talk? The opinion
5: line on Corks ninety six FM with
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. C M I G dot I E.
5: Interesting alternative view on maternity restrictions, which I will come to, but it, a lot of people will be annoyed by it. But it's a view and it's out there. Let me go uh, to kahal kahal you, 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 you started getting symptoms very, very young. Good morning.
9: Yes, good morning, PJ. Uh, good to talk again. Yeah, yeah I started getting symptoms uh, when I was 17 years of age. Uh, I was actually swinging off the back of a chair in my Leaving Cert class. Uh, when I was doing my leave insert, and I remember looking at one of the fluorescent lights, and I just closed one eye and opened the other, and I noticed that there was a difference in the coloration in one of my eyes. Right. Uh, over the next couple of years, uh, I started to get, sort just to sort of talk about when my body temperature rose for whatever reason, I started to get what I was sort of classified as white noise in my eye. It, it started going, so I started losing losing vision in one of the eyes. Right. Um, and then not long after that, I started to get uh, a numbness in my leg. And of course, then I started getting uh, bladder issues. Now, that, I started sending uh, doctors down the rabbit How hole. How quickly did that. all these happen? So that happened over three year periods. Now, what was happening was I sent the doctors initially down the rabbit hole because when I started getting bladder issues, being a young fella at that age, uh, that was a big problem for me. So I started going more urology than anything else. Unfortunately, uh, of one of the uh, sort, of, uh, sort of investigations into the bladder issues, I had a cystoscopy done and I got an infection which rose the body core temperature, which then made me lose my eyesight and I couldn't walk. So quickly went from urology to neurology. And of course, then, the, then the, the neurology stuff started, lumbar puncture, and then I was diagnosed with MS in 93, which was 28 years ago.
5: Right. So you were 21?
9: Yeah, I just turned 21 in the August and I was diagnosed in the October
5: Getting that news uh, a couple of months after your 21st birthday, that, that, that's yeah. a bit devastating, isn't it? It,
9: it was because, like uh, MS, it, it doesn't take any prisoners, you know, and so it seems to come into people at a young age uh, when they're just starting off their working career. And that's what was happening to me. I'd already started my cadetship down in the RTC in 1990. Um, I was starting to do, I was in the Merchant Navy. I was starting to do my tickets. Um, and I remember getting told at the end of the bed in Bowman in uh, by an intern, and he told me that I'd MS. And I said, OK. And my first question was, am I going to die? Because I didn't really know much about it. And he goes, no, you're not. And I was more or less told, put your legs up and don't do anything. That's what I was told. Mm. I remember my father came in to me and I told him, i was sorry. Um, and uh, when the mother comes to see me later on that evening, make sure she's not crying. So what happened then, a couple of days later, uh, there was really no medications back in that day. Mm-hmm. It was sort of, here's your steroids and get on with it.
5: Were you scared?
9: Um, yes. Initially, I was, I was scared. But I think about four or five days after the news, I uh, mentioned to my dad, I says, listen, are you doing anything? Uh, on Sunday, he goes, no. I says, can you drop me back down to Cork? And from there, I didn't say anything. I just went on about my business, finished my cadetship, did my tickets in the Merchant Navy, um, and kept on going. Um, in 96 then, I moved from the Merchant Navy into offshore oil, offshore oil and gas in the North Sea on the oil rigs. Now, Crikey,
5: you went on the oil rigs with MS, like that can't have been easy. Or was, like, had you day-to-day symptoms then or was it just that it would flare up now and again? Were you able to, no, no, to conceal it? No, uh,
9: I, I can say I, I lived a double life for 26 years, PJ. I concealed it. Uh, so I, I had the numbness was always there. The bladder issues were there and the eyesight was there. Uh, but I was able to conceal it. Yeah. I was very economical with the truth on many occasions. Um, of course, when I went for medicals, I passed a flying colors because I prepped myself for them both psychologically and mentally. And I'd go through the medicals. I used to do the uh, helicopter underwater escape training in the pools, you know, for going offshore life. That was, yeah. and I passed that with flying covers. But the thing is, I'm good in the water. You must have been I'm extraordinarily
5: like fit then, were you? Uh, well,
9: yeah, I wouldn't say I was extraordinarily fit. I I, I like water, but I'm yeah. like a baby giraffe when I get onto dry land. So I okay. think it was just one of them things, you know. So so the legs don't work on dry land, but in water I'm okay. Of course. Um, Um, And then after that, I remember my neurologist sort of was given out to me because at the time, you know, MS was a case of put your legs up, don't do anything, don't stress yourself, don't overexert yourself. And I wouldn't listen to him. He was trying to get me to finish on the oil rigs in the North Sea. I think in about 98, um, I'd gone for a consultation with uh, Dr. Brian Sweeney down here in Cork and um, he asked me, oh, you know, we're talking. He says, "How's things?" And I, I just told him that I'd finished work in the North Sea, and he was delighted with that. But I says, uh, "What I, I have done is I've taken up work in Brazil instead." So, um, he just sort of he just sort of, he just sort of said to me, "Okay, just get on with it." And that's what I did for, for the for the rest of the time up to a couple of years ago when I actually told my employers that I had MS. Did uh, it, it, it come the to last a point? Four, last four-
5: did it come the last to a point? Years in Angola. Sorry to cut across you. It's just the okay. single, the single. You were in, in Angola. I
9: was in Angola for the last fourteen years. Yeah. yeah.
5: What doing what? Working on the oil <sighs> Okay. And did it come to a point medically, or did you just decide I I I better tell my employer here what what how no, what?
9: No, it's. So so, what happened, PJ, was uh, when we were out on the rigs, um, a lot of people, you know, what we have to do sometimes if it's bad weather and we can't be lifted down onto boats with the crane, we, we have to transfer across ladders. And there was a, a guy that was a pilot. Uh, he brought the tankers into us and he, he was physically fit. He did sort of transferring onto small boats from the oil rig on a nearly day-to-day basis. He actually got thrown over the side, broke his ribs, punctured his lung, was in hospital for a while. And I sort of at that time i sort of thought to myself well you know maybe i've i've uh, done this you know maybe i've just been lucky and i just
0: a lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times
1: And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that
0: peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
3: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
9: I just decided, you know, I would never pass a red face test if I got injured and during an investigation, what was wrong? And they found out I MS. So I just had to sort of be true to myself and be true to the company. No, what's what's
5: a red face test? Uh-huh.
9: So <laughs> when I say red face test, you know, oh, you
5: have MS, but you never told us. I see. Why, why did you, you, know, uh, you, you were, pro- were you under any obligation to tell them?
9: No, 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 no. And, and that was one thing when I did tell them, like the VP of operations had called me into his office and said, you know, are we okay? And I asked him, what do you mean are we okay legally are we okay I Says yes of course we are um, there's no issues there's, I was never asked directly do I have MS mm-hmm. so you know there's nothing there but uh, I think at the time Le- mean, Cahill, might-
5: can, I, can, can I pause you because I want to spend a few more minutes talking to you this is a fascinating conversation I have to say uh, about MS and living with it I want to take a break and come back to how you are now and how you, how, how you see things from here on and I think you're an inspiration Kahal. I'm talking to Kahl Cody It'd be an inspiration, Carl, to anybody who's just been diagnosed or is living with a, a recent diagnosis. So so I'd like to come back and stay with you for another couple of minutes. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we
3: just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie.
3: Access all areas on Corks 96FM. Your
1: guide to nightlife on Leaside.
10: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. After two long years away, the Boomer are coming back to the stage for a show at Cypress Avenue on October 22nd. Tickets are now on sale from the venue's website cypressavenue.ie Access All Areas The Clonakilty International Guitar Festival returns this week as organisers attempt to once again electrify the streets and venues of the County Cork town Tickets for in-person performances are on sale now via clonacuitarfest.com Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie
1: Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leeside. On Cork's 96
5: FM. So I'm talking to Kyle Cody, who's a regular listener to the Opinion Line, about his life with MS, diagnosed at 21 after he got the first symptoms around the time of his leaving search, but having been diagnosed at 21, he went on to leave the Merchant Navy and to work on the oil rigs in Brazil and Angola and other strange parts of the world. Like that, and that was twenty eight years ago, Carl. So, so, how are you now? Um, I'm
9: I'm fine. Um, I finished up a work. I started a company, and I do contracting work. So I do stuff for companies now. With regards to uh, the operation, still in the oil industry, but uh, I can work remotely from home, uh, which is good. Um, physically wise uh, my eyesight is 100% back together my still with the badder issues and my walking my, my gait is is quite bad mm. uh, but again i own the ms i you know it doesn't own me i own it so you know It's it's okay. I I just, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I've got MS. I just, just carry on. Just just get on with it.
5: And you, when you were diagnosed, you made the point that there was no really good medication back then, just steroids and whatever. Now there's a bank of medication and that, does that help you?
9: I don't take it. I've never taken it. Well, really? I did take. I did take a PJ back in um, during one of the construction phases of an oil rig that I was working on. I was working on land, and because I'd kept it secret, it involved injecting betaferon. It was back in the nineties. Uh, and um, because as soon as I went back offshore again, I just couldn't then bring the needles with me. Uh, it would only bring it. To the front that I've got an issue with me, so I said instead of me wasting it, you know, somebody else would probably benefit more out of it. So I've never taken the medication. My work has actually been my medication, you know, I because say. it's kept me busy and strong, yes, and focused.
5: Yes, now before I finish with you, I think you would be inspirational to and that's a much overused word, but I'm using it anyway to someone who is dealing with a recent diagnosis or has a loved one dealing with a diagnosis. I have a friend myself in his. In his mid forties, who was diagnosed a number of years ago, and and you know what what would advice would you give to somebody who has MS and is living with the reality of MS?
9: So again, MS, you know, it does, it's, it's not a case of one shoe fits all because MS, you know, it, it sort of comes into people in different ways, whether physically, mentally, or, or, or psychologically. You know, it's you know don't don't dwell on the MS. You know, I, I I'm a firm believer that you know if you're strong minded. If you get a weakness, if you fall over, you know, laugh. You know, it's, it's, it's a case of just live your life. You know, MS isn't a, isn't a death sentence. You know, you can get by. And again, I'm probably an exception to the rule. But again, you know, my neurologist, uh, Dr. Sweeney, will always say to me, he says, you know, he's asked me, do I want medications? I said, no, I don't. He says, you're probably right. He says, your mindset is in the right area of dealing with this issue.
5: Yeah, well, I think that's a very important message. You know, keep your mind healthy, and it helps your body to stay healthy. Yeah. All right, listen, Carl. A pleasure to speak with you, and may you have long life and good health uh, with the, with the MS and uh, good success in whatever you choose to do. That's kahal Cody, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Developing story. Uh, developing it's on and it's off and it's on and it's off and it's on and it's off and I'm talking of course about the America's Cup now there were three in the running Cork, Spain and Saudi Arabia were in the running for the America's Cup in 2024 it looked as if Cork it was Cork's to lose was one of the headlines in the last few days but the government will have to put some hefty money up front to, to nail it down And last night it was looking as if the organisers were going to say, look, go on, lads, forget it, forget it, and go back to the other two and see could they take it instead. It looked as if Cork was out of the running yesterday. We don't actually know this morning. Owen English from the examiner was tweeting early this morning that there could be another development to come. We really don't know where we are. uh, But Niall Hawes is the commodore of the Cove Sailing Club. Niall, good morning to you. Morning PJ, can How are you? Yeah? Can you add, add, add any more to this uh, from what you know?
11: Um, well, to, I thought it was more or less dead in the water from what I was reading last night um, that the members of the cabinet weren't happy with the um, the costings coming out. But yeah. to be honest, from what, this has been going on since January so I think you know people asking for more time to look at the costs is a bit ridiculous. they did plenty of time to look at it. Uh, it's frankly looking embarrassing now that you know, Team New Zealand, we're, we're willing to uh, announce us as the preferred bidder today uh, and now we have to go back to the drawing board or there has to be another decision from government to say that we are going to go ahead with it, you know?
5: I suppose you have to look at the fact that we'd probably have to put the bones of 150 million on the table before we can spot a sale coming over the horizon. And we have to build yeah. hospitals and schools and we have to fill childcare places and build houses. We have a lot Absolutely. higher priorities for that money.
11: Absolutely, PJ. But I mean, in order to build the roads, we need, you know, we need to build roads as well. There was 150 million euros worth of infrastructure in that bid out of the 200 million. Uh, things like upgrading the photo Road, uh, new bridge at Belvelli, They were going to electrify the Corked Cove railway line. These are all things that were planned in the government strategy for, I think it's 2040 anyway. But they're being brought forward to to boost uh, the, the bid. So, I mean, really, it was only 50 million of um, kind of upfront fee of which they'd get back
5: a big return, you know. Another argument being made was this was an awful lot of money to be spending on what's effectively an elite sport. Now, anyone who knows about the size of world events, like, is it true that this is third only to the Olympics and the World Cup in, in terms of the size of an event?
11: It would be, absolutely. It's it's the third, or i say it's the oldest sporting trophy in the world. Um, it's come on leaps and bounds from what it used to be it used to be two rich lads with the biggest boat and they'd sail a couple of miles off the harbour and nobody saw anything whereas no it's very much a spectator driven sport the boats are fantastic the technology is you know it's it's, it's inspired by Formula 1 in some respects um, and it's all about close racing and the spectators being close I mean it's it's not an elitist sport I mean you pay a couple of hundred quid to go and watch um, Manchester United play Liverpool whereas it'll be free to watch this yeah. Um, it'll always be an least sport if people don't, Uh. you know, this is the kind of thing that inspires a nation to take up a sport. Yeah. It doesn't cost much to get on the water and
5: start sailing, you know. What we'd be most familiar with, Nile, would be, say, in its prime, Cork Week stroke Ford Week, in its prime. Yeah. Compare this to that. That's a biggie, and we know it's a biggie, but compare this. That would be the equivalent of... Um,
11: ramblers playing on a Saturday night versus the World Cup final
5: getaway you know? and we all have a big well. Cork week
11: exactly yeah back in the state over 200 entrants but like uh, this uh, this will go on over three years I mean you, you'd have a World Series race you would have um, oh, the same.
5: three to three Cup. years so yeah be
11: because races. as soon as oh. the announcement was made right they'd start basing themselves in, I think it was the Dock Air was going to be where they were based, and they'd start testing. So they, we'd see them on the water nearly every couple of days in the lead-up to a testing. That in itself would bring in uh, tourists to watch that. Right. Uh, and then they'd have the practice races, and then they have to have the qualifier race to see who would actually race in the America's Cup match against New Zealand. And does that so all you'd, happen you'd here? Have three months of racing. That would all happen here, yeah.
5: Wow. So this isn't just they all rock up for for a couple of finals... Absolutely not. No, this is a, a three
11: year event, really, and the actual proper racing would take place over three, four months.
5: Wow. So, look, and yeah. I know, look, you're involved in sailing, obviously, and it's 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 your sport, and you, and you love it, and you'd love to see this here. Balanced against the huge cost of it, do you think it would be yeah. short sighted for the government to say thanks but no thanks?
11: Absolutely. I mean, from a non sailing perspective, this is. Uh, A massive economic boost. I mean, each team, it's been touted out to be about seven teams this year, which means each of them would have 30 staff on the ground from early day one. So you've got 30 staff across seven teams living probably in Cove or in Cork, you know, looking for somewhere to live, to eat. They'll be looking for parts from local uh, businesses. It's it's just a massive, massive machine that we're going to miss out on. And we'll never get this opportunity again. The way that the Cup has fallen to New Zealand, not holding it, and going up to bids—that won't happen again.
5: Right, right. So, that, and, and it would also look bad for us.
11: It's embarrassing the fact you that never we've got, got a second this chance. Far. Like, yeah, you won't. No, I mean, it's the the laws around the America's Cup are fairly strict. They have certain timelines that they have to keep to, and if we don't, you know, answer the call now, it'll be gone. It'll end up in Spain.
5: Okay, all right. Listen, leave it there. We'll see where it goes. According to old English tweeting this morning, it's not done and dusted as of yet, but it doesn't look good. Thank you. That's Nile Hawes, uh, the, uh, uh, the Commodore of Cove Sailing Club. It's an enormous event. Like <laughs> comparing this to Cork Week and how huge Cork Week used to be at its peak. Comparing Cork Week to this, I like that. It's like comparing a Cove Ramblers match to the World Cup final. Wow. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now, I, I told you about this yesterday and I went through it and I said I was following it with huge interest. And this is the story of the exhumation uh, earlier the week of baby John, the Kerry baby, whose body was found on a beach in Carhassivine, In 1984, and it led to the horrible treatment of Joanne Hayes and her family. And they've since been completely exonerated from anything to do with baby John. And they have been apologised to and compensated, and rightly so. But from that day to this, we have no idea who baby John was, what happened to him, where his parents were. All we know is he was only about five days old when he was found on the beach, stabbed multiple times the talk was that exhuming the body in the last couple of days was to get more dna samples which obviously leads one to believe that they may be close to a breakthrough and mooney of the irish sun has been following this story for many years and joins me and good morning
4: Good morning, PJ.
5: That's the theory from those of us who've had an interest in this story for many years and indeed people who were only catching up with it now, younger people, shocked and horrified by it. Are we close to a breakthrough, do you think?
4: Actually, I don't think we are, PJ. Um, I think this has been going on for so long um, and I genuinely don't believe that they have anything new in this case. Um, I think the review is going on and they have to be seen to be doing something. I know the exhumation of the baby, um, there's talk that it was due to, that they wanted to get more DNA. Um, but it, DNA is only useful if you have suspects to match it against. And in this case, um, there hasn't been any suspects. They, they, they have no idea who the mother or the father is in uh, as regards baby John. So, um, as I say, I, I don't think... Uh, that we're going to see a breakthrough in the case Yeah, he
5: would be, had he lived the poor little mite, he would be a 37 years old now which means yeah. his parents would be at least, I suppose, in their 50s
4: Well depending, yeah, depending on the age yes, uh, even in their 60s um, and nobody has ever come somebody must have known that this baby was born um, and and I think the fact that, uh, that the baby suffered 28 stab wounds Indicates that this was an absolutely frenzied, frenzied attack. Um, which you know, if you if if you're that bad, um, and it, you're not going to actually come forward anyway, um, and certainly um, you know in in terms of uh, the the wider family grouping in this case, they have nobody has come forward in that to say that they've even got an inkling of who might have done it or what happened. You know, so. And, and then to dump the body in, in such a horrendous, awful way, um, you know, to treat a baby like that, to just dump it on a beach in, in, near Cahar is just, yeah. you know, it doesn't even bear thinking about.
5: As you recall it now, the sheer horror of it would send a shiver up, up the spine. What are the general feelings in, in the Kerry area about it, Anne?
4: I actually think that the general feeling in the career is exactly as I said to you there, PJ. I don't think people expect any sort of a breakthrough. Um, I think that, uh, I think, you know, fair use they regards, they've, they've reviewed, their will have under review again. Um, but, like, you know, the appeals are, to, Superintendent Laura Murphy's appeal yesterday was, or during the week was, to for the mother to come forward and saying that she would be treated with compassion and uh, would be provided with professional counselling. Seriously, after 37 years, do you really think that this woman is going to come forward and that she needs professional counselling? We don't even know if she's alive or dead. Yeah. You know, trust so, the
5: fact, and you know, let, let us never let us never let this memory fade of the way an innocent woman and her innocent family were yes. treated. Yes. As there was uh, over over this case, what was yes. done to the Hayeses and done to Joanne was a scandal of international proportions. Why oh, would anyone oh. come forward and speak a word now?
4: Absolutely, and I mean, you know, to accuse Joanne Hayes of being the mother of both babies—her own baby, which was buried on the farm um, and had died naturally, and uh, baby John, who's awful awful death was was a horrendous murder um to accuse her of being the mother of both babies of giving birth to twins by two different fathers i mean seriously even just thought of that is mm. staggering that any any uh, any person would actually come up with that theory is just it's just outrageous. Mm. Um, and, and by the way, PJ, the, um, the the family wants nothing to do with this. They say it has absolutely nothing to do with them. And rightly uh, so. Family. And I,
5: what I've been uncomfortable with, Anne, uh, in some publications, has been the placing of Joanne Hayes's picture in the context of this report. I've felt very yeah. uncomfortable with that.
4: Yeah, well, I suppose that's because it was all part of the of the Hayes um, story, you yeah. know, in terms of, of what happened and... Um, you know the accusations and everything yeah. else. So well, I'm I'm not surprised that Joanne Hayes's photograph would be would be used because they certainly don't have the mother the of the context. I suppose they've nobody else's they picture yeah, to use. Yeah,
5: yeah. and yeah. the cat just use a picture of a, of a deserted beach. So you yeah. you believe, and you're a long time covering this, and I'm a long time watching it. You believe that this is just another another exercise to see will anyone come forward, but realistically, no one's going to.
4: Yeah, and like I mean, how many how many of these cold case reviews have we that they've actually had some sort of positive result from? Very very few, PJ. You know, I I can think of I can think of numerous ones, even down in Kerry, the 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 father who disappeared, and they did a huge dig of in a forest in the, forest of the Kerry Mound in the Kerry area, and and found nothing. You know, I think I think that uh, unless the mother or the father are prepared to call and come true, you know, which is absolutely impossible. Um, I don't think they're going to get anywhere with this. They mm. can appeal as much as they want, they can, you know, appeal to people's better instincts. They, you know, but I think just people think that um, his family were treated so badly anyway, um, in term especially in terms of baby John, that um you know, they just don't
5: want to have anything to do with it Okay, alright, leave it there Anne It's sad uh, to have that realisation but look, you know experienced journalists covering it like, like Anne and I've been watching it since it happened, I remember the story, I remember the horrific story it looks like one of those mysteries we'll never solve unfortunately a bit like Sophie Toscan Duplantier or, or others, we, we'll never actually know which is very sad. 185715996 on the America's Cup, I don't think this was thought through. Are we sure the harbour can cope with that many ships, the way they might arrive at once, they always do in a race? You get the top performers in dribs and drabs, then a huge group, and then the stragglers. I don't think we could cope with the needs of a lot of high-performance boats at once. Well, caller, if the second largest natural harbour in the world can't cope then you wonder where could. But your point is valid. Quite a few comments on changes or possible changes in the drinking hours. And we have that rather lengthy comment on maternity restrictions, which I promise I would read before quitting time today. But on pubs, Mervyn says, if we're allowing pubs to open till 6 a.m., maybe we should use the additional income to properly fund an addiction recovery service in the state. Additional funds will also need to be set aside for the other short and long-term health effects. But Barry says, yes, why not give them the extended hours? it will then be up to the publican on what hours they will open for their customers. And Chris says, when I was in my 20s, I moved to a city where pubs and clubs set their own hours. I had a few rough nights out after I first arrived, and then I learned personal responsibility. I can leave a club at half two in the morning, even if it's open till six. It takes a while to shift the mindset, but it does happen. Just in on the Baby John, this is interesting. Tim says, lots of people are sending DNA off to profilers to trace ancestors. Uh, Police can and do access that info. A cousin of Baby John submitting DNA to such a firm could trigger a whole DNA search if Baby John's DNA was on a police watch list, which, Tim, that's an angle I hadn't considered Thank you. Can we just talk? The opinion line on
3: Corks 96 FM
1: with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just
1: talk? Call
3: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
1: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: On Cork's 96FM.
5: Here's one that came in from Pat that I'd like your thoughts on. And this would be a good one for WhatsApp voice notes if you want to send us one. Um... It's totally different from anything we're talking about this morning, but we'll just chuck it out there for what it is worth. Pat says talk of Bruce Springsteen at Parky e. Cueve, which there is some talk of Bruce Springsteen at Parky e. Cueve in 2022. We already have Elton John booked in for Parky e. Cueve. I'm so looking forward to that. And Garth Brooks at Croak Park. They're going to try it again. And they all has-beens, says Pat. All right. Would you go into a shop and pay a full price for something that's almost out of date? Why would people pay to go to a concert and then they're the only ones singing the songs? I'm not sure what you mean by that, Papa. These people are paying huge prices for a concert for someone who just can't really sound the same anymore. Well, I was at Rod Stewart in 2019, Pat, down at Parky Cueve. Uh, my missus was with me and so was our boy and Rod Stewart sounded as fresh then as he'd sounded the first time I heard him 20 years before that and I was as good the greats don't age my son is 23 and what he wants to see more than anything else the Rolling Stones he'd give anything to see the Rolling Stones Um, but we'll see what people think about that like Bruce Springsteen Garth Brooks the big concerts for 2022 Elton John uh, selling fast, I believe, for for Parky Queer. But Pat's point is, like, aren't these old groups and old bands? And Pat uses the term has-beens. I saw one of the best concerts of my entire life a few years ago. I went to see the ELO in Dublin. I'd been a fan of the ELO since, since I was a kid. My first time to see them. Jeff Lynne is 70. And I can tell you one thing, it was the most perfect concert I'd heard in many a long day. But Pat's point is, These are old hat and has-beens. And should we not find someone else to play Parky Quive? What do you think? And if you could pick anybody to play at Parky Cueve, let's imagine you're the promoter. You can pick up the phone to anybody in the world and offer them a gig at Parky Quive, Who would it be? All right? Just to think about it for the last... 50 minutes or so of the programme one five nine nine six. now there's a call of the government to follow in the footsteps of Northern Ireland Uh, the government up there is to offer a 100 pound sterling gift card to everybody over 18 that's about 117 118 euro 100 pound sterling gift card and it would encourage people to get out and spend post pandemic the first Cards will be issued in October and you have a deadline. You must spend them by the 30th of November. I'm not sure if the credit on them will actually die on the 30th of November, but if you get your card in October, you've got to spend it by the 30th of November. You wonder, would it work here? Would it be a good idea to do it here to get people out spending Kevin Hurley is Vice President of the Cork Business Association and, of course, the owner of three very successful centres. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. We had some kind of a daft situation a couple of years ago where you could take pictures of your receipts and send them off to revenue to see where you get twopence halfpenny back in about 20 years. This is completely different. This is handing people cash on a voucher. Would you be in favour?
10: Absolutely PJ I think um, in principle the idea is very good Um, if it gets people back into the city um, as business owners in the city we we want people to be back in the city we don't want them to be buying online Um, there's much better experience of coming into Cork City Centre and buying in the shops and buying your presents or whatever it is be it at Christmas or whatever time of the year our only concern would be the logistics of it um you know, a card that's given out, uh, how is it going to work through scanning, through IT and all of that kind of stuff? That would really be our only concern. But overall, in principle, I think it's a great idea.
5: One would presume that it'll work in the same way as something like a one for all currently works.
10: Um, yeah, well, one for all could be spent in Argos in Dublin or in pennies in Cork do you know what I mean so like just the whole logistics around us they just need to think about it but overall I think it's a really good idea and and, and the Cork Business Association are very much in favour of the whole thing.
5: Mm. How are things doing as we head into the uh, winter and into Christmas and hopefully now the easing of restrictions how are you? How are, how are things going in the city?
10: Um, things are good PJ the Overall footfall is certainly up on 2019. If you're ever inside in the city centre, shoes see it. There's a lot happening. The stores are doing well, the bars and restaurants are doing well despite the limited capacity indoors. Yeah. Um it's it's overall it's it's a very positive story. Um, and I would have to say that people have been very cooperative, and the business owners in general are are are, are delighted. Obviously, there's a few empty units around the place, mm. which we would like to see filled, and hopefully that will that will happen towards the back end of 2021 and into 2022.
5: We're a few weeks away, just a few weeks away from a budget and obviously retail will look to that budget with great interest. What would CBA want to see coming out of that budget? Off the top of your head, Kevin.
10: Um... Hard, it's that's a hard one to call in my own business. I can tell you there'll definitely be another 50 cent put on cigarettes or whatever. Mm. Um, but um, in, in general, I don't think the government, uh, like obviously, the minimum wage is going to go up to 30 cent in January and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but I don't think they're going to be burdening retail with any kind of taxes or anything. Like you would be that. hoping I, not. I, I, I imagine like, yeah. we'd be hoping not. I mean, that they've had like particularly non essential retail have had an extremely turbulent time, being closed for months on end, and trying to do online stuff. Uh, so we'd be hoping that there wouldn't be any uh, curveballs thrown at us.
5: Mm. Well, it's certainly the idea of a voucher that we could all get to come and spend in your shop or any other. Uh, welcome once the logistics are sorted out, correct? Definitely. Yeah, oh. absolutely, PJ. All right, Kevin, thanks. That's Kevin Hurley, Vice President of the Cork Business Association, operates uh, three centres in the city centre. I like that idea. You get a hundred quid cash in the form of a voucher. You have a month to spend it. You can spend it on whatever or wherever you like. Just get the money back into the economy. I was listening recently to a radio report where it said that there's something like seven and a half billion euro sitting in bank accounts because people who were lucky enough and fortunate enough to keep their jobs and not lose their income and not lose their businesses during the pandemic. Well, they would nothing to spend money on. Weekends when we couldn't go anywhere, there was nowhere to go, so they spent money. And there's billions sitting in bank accounts. And in order to reheat the economy and get it flying again, they need to get that money out and get it spent. And it will come out, but for people who didn't have that much money and may not have anything put aside, the idea of a €100 euro voucher Coming in the door, landing on the match for everybody over eighteen in the house, and that's like that'd be, that 'd be four of them coming into my house. Everybody over eighteen in the house w- would get one of these to stimulate the economy and get people back spending again. I wonder what you think eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six Tracy would like to see Guns and roses play in Parkiequeve so they 're around since eighteen forty one no seriously that so the bands and artists that have been around for years put on the best concerts. Their songs and the artists themselves are timeless. 1850, 715, 996. If you could pick up the phone to any artist in the world now, or if I pick the phone up for you and say, Come here, hey, yeah, this is PJ and Cork, yeah, would you come and do a gig? In, yeah, anyone you want. 2022.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With
1: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The Corks
3: 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie
1: now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10 minute survey And you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher The power to pick
3: what we play
1: Pick what we play Join the Quark's 96FM music panel Find
3: the link on Instagram, Facebook and
1: Twitter Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter
5: Or see 96FM.ie Speaking of events and gigs of various kinds Something I'm very much looking forward to uh, Tomorrow night I'm thrilled to have been asked to do it. Tonight, tomorrow night is culture night, as you know, around the whole country, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of events on. And I was very privileged to be invited to host an event at Spike Island, which I believe it's sold out, which is great. But Catherine Kirwan, Amy Cronin, Michelle Dunn, Kevin Doyle, and Tig Coakley are five authors from Cork. And they've all written books about crime on the streets of Cork. Super books, every last one of them. And I'll be joining them tomorrow night on Spike Island, a fantastic setting, to chat about writing crime in Cork and where Cork lends itself to writing great crime stories. I'm looking forward to that on Spike Island tomorrow night. 1850 Now, one of the things we've had to deal with all of us, I think, during the pandemic is death. There's 5,000 people dead. and It's terrible, terrible, terrible to think. And that's just connected to the pandemic. If anybody else died during the last 18 months that you know and you love, well, everything was compromised because you couldn't have a proper funeral. Uh, some, at one stage, it was only 10 people allowed, no matter who died. We all know someone who passed away in the last 12 months that you just are 18 months that you'd given anything to be there. And then there's that change in our lives. And bereavement comes in many shapes and forms, and one of the hardest to deal with must be sudden bereavement. Is there a better way for us to deal with sudden bereavement in this country? And what happens after sudden bereavement? For example, sometimes a sudden death, an inexplicable death, an unexpected death leads to an inquest. Is there an easier way for us to deal with that? And Darren O'Mahony is a barrister and a member of Cree and joins me to discuss some of this. Darren, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I was only talking last week to a family, uh, one of their member members, died in Cork prison during the last year or so and they have told they could be waiting up to two years for an inquest myself as a journalist have covered hundreds of inquests they're never easy on a family is there an easier way in this country for us to deal with bereavement and death and what happens afterwards?
12: Wow well I'm so sorry to hear about that family PJ Mm. Um. We must try and find a better way. And you know, the ironic thing about death is, it always comes as a surprise, even though it's in the contract for all of us. You know, it's it's the only guaranteed thing in our lives, and yet when it happens, we're always shocked. Um, but it's even more unbearable if the death could have been um, avoided, and if it's sudden, because it adds all these additional layers of pain and suffering for the people left behind who never have that chance to say goodbye and there's been a lot of that during the mm. covid-19 lockdown period you know it's a total shock to the system it changes you forever the news arrives and time stops you can't turn away from it you can't reason with it you just know that life will never be the same again
5: yeah yeah we are it's 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 a funny expression to use but we are good at death in this country. Mm. We are good at remembering, honouring, and as they say, sending off those who have died. And what has struck me very personally in the course of the pandemic in particular, Darren, is my dad died uh, in 2018. Now he had been ill, but it was quite sudden in the end. But we were able to mourn him properly. I mean, really mourn him properly and really remember him properly. It would break my heart for any family who lost someone in the last 18 months, not to be able to do that. It really must have been tough.
12: Very, very tough. Um, And I suppose, like, any death is difficult, but where it's sort of anticipated or expected, I suppose we can uh, make some sense of the situation. Maybe we can brace ourselves emotionally, but with deaths that are sudden, we can't. And I think... What was really difficult for people during COVID was to be separated from loved ones who were maybe ill in hospital, um, not being able to visit them, relatives in nursing homes who died during COVID, that separation. And then, of course, after the death, the fact that we as a society who are, as you say, so good at doing death, um, we weren't able to have the traditional wake uh, in the family home. You know, all of that was gone. Funerals were Cut down to, you know, very few people attending, and relatives had to watch via Zoom or or, or something like that, mm. LinkedIn, and uh, it just just horrendous, you know. It's it's really, I think, for everyone around the world, it's been a shock and a change. But for the Irish in particular, because as you say, we we have a certain way of doing death, and traditionally, we have been very good at. Um, helping people who are grieving and helping people who Mm -hmm. are bereaved.
5: Yes, we we lift them and we carry them through that Mm. awful few days and then Mm -hmm. we we try as best we can to support them through the weeks and months ahead and we haven't been able to do that in the pandemic. The other element of it, Darren, is inquests and so many deaths, even ordinary everyday deaths, shall we say, end up in the coroner's court and as a journalist... When I would attend an inquest that was going to make the news, I would also look at the number of inquests there who were never going to make the news. But for for a family, they're so, so hard. There's got to be another mm. way.
12: There has to. I mean, the sad thing is that when a death is sudden and unexplained, usually there will have to be an inquest. Um, and so it's very difficult for families to be told that. And. Um, And they have no choice, really. It's inquests or public fact-finding inquiries. um, And the family will just have to go along with that process, which can be very drawn out and very difficult, particularly so in recent times, because uh, during the pandemic pandemic, inquests were virtually uh, suspended really, mm. more or less across the country, um, they weren't being heard and so now what we have is a, a huge backlog of, um, of of inquests waiting to get on and for a family who are looking for answers they hope they'll get those answers from the coroner at inquest um, but it's taking longer than ever and it really is prolonging mm. the grieving process for them.
5: And even if the Inquest is a relatively routine affair that will be open and shut in half an hour, as some of them are or an hour. You still have to go through it.
12: You have to go through it. Um and it's you know, PJ, like at the turn of the millennium actually there was a working group set up by the then Department of Justice and they they identified that we needed a root and branch reform of the way we deal with inquests in Ireland. Um, that was the turn of the millennium. Like we're here 21 years later and no reforms have been implemented. Um, And that failure, that's a failure on the part of successive governments. And it means that you have families just left out in the cold waiting for answers. Um, I do uh, some inquests. I I deal with a lot of cases involving deaths, um, deaths in the hospital setting and so on. And people need support and compassion they, they arrive at the coroner's court on the morning of an inquest knowing nothing about the process, uh, having no private area to um, discuss it with amongst themselves or with their lawyers. There's no boxes of tissues around, you know, there's no bottle of water, there's no facility to have a cup of tea.
5: Mm. It's a
12: very cold... And place. you
5: have to go into a courtroom yeah. surrounded by yeah. criminals and all of the associated... Mm people and you're there wondering why am I going into a court because my loved one has passed away and down the hall there's Mm. a fella been tried for 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 burglary does that make me the same and it sounds like a ridiculous thing to think but that's what people think
12: you're dead right PJ and I mean it just shouldn't be the case at an inquest nobody is on trial but it can feel as if they are uh you know it it's them and us, really. and families, they're in a courtroom where, as you say, people accused of crimes often stand trial, and they're listening to professionals, like doctors, recount the most harrowing details. Of the death, so tensions and emotions run extremely high. It's uncomfortable for everybody, yeah. um, and we, we really need to be doing doing much better uh, for people yeah. in those situations.
5: Coming back again to, to the, the death, deaths that occurred uh, throughout the last 18 months, either connected or not connected to the to the pandemic itself, it's a very hard time mentally for a family in the weeks and months ahead after a death. It it must be harder again after a a death in the pandemic.
12: Absolutely. And I suppose it's important to recognise that everybody grieves in their own way and the experience is very much individual. Yes. Um, There are stages, of course, that we all go through like denial, anger. There's that bargaining stage maybe where we think, oh, if things had been different, if I had done something differently. Is depression, and then sometimes eventually there's there's that acceptance. But what's really difficult uh, and has been for the last eighteen months or so is uh, not only have funerals been uh, totally changed, but also people who may need or want uh, to see a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or a counsellor, they just haven't been able to do it. These professionals are stretched to. Capacity and uh, there is no substitute for a one-to-one with um, a, a compassionate listener. And people have had to deal with professionals over Zoom or telephone call, mm. and it's just not the same. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully we will we will come out of that. And I think the general consensus is that I think the Irish people would hope that we will get back to the way we were before COVID. Um, and, and the traditions that surrounded it, uh, saying goodbye to the people we love.
5: Yeah, hopefully it will. You're also a member of Cree, which is the heart and stroke uh, organization. And did I read this correctly? That after Christian Eriksson collapsed at the Euros, was there a surge in calls to Cree?
12: there was there was um traffic through the website was just soaring in the aftermath. not, not just with Cree PJ, that was Irish Heart Foundation and all sorts of um, similar, similar websites, because I suppose it brought this to the forefront of people's minds. But like it's important to remember that, you know this is a common enough occurrence there's mm-hmm. about 5000 deaths a year from sudden cardiac arrest in ireland um but of course you know, we don't really understand that or we don't we don't know it unless it's affected us whereas everybody knew about it in the wake of of the Ericsson collapse because it was just splashed everywhere across the internet and television screens and newspapers. So if there was anything positive to come out of what was uh, a terrible event, it was that it was that uh, it raised the awareness, I think, and the the importance of people uh, knowing what to do in those situations. Ericsson got excellent care mm-hmm. very quickly where he was. Um, but if for people here, you know, they, they now know the importance of rapid access to CPR and a defibrillator, which are really the two things that are crucial yeah. when somebody is in cardiac arrest. And that's the one positive we can take from it, um, that Ericsson has, you know, his, his 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 terrible event has really, I think, done good for, for the people worldwide in in. A shining spotlight on this very very important issue where time is always of the essence
5: The raising of awareness uh, in, 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 a, in a strange way he did an incredible night's work for that Darren, thank you very much for being with us positive way in which I suppose to end uh, what could be a, a dark old conversation, to Darren O'Mahony Barrister a member of Cree about will we ever return to death as it used to be and in many ways we'd hope that we will And is there a way that we can stop anguished families having to go through an inquest process and the place where inquests are held? And to Court 7, where we have the inquests in Cork, it's, it's a different kind of a court. It's down the back of the court. It's in around the corner. You're away from the main concourse of the court. But you still have to go through what else is going on. And for a family of someone... Who died? That can never be easy. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. On a brighter note, some of your suggestions and listen. I'm looking at this. Pat's idea was Bruce Springsteen, uh, Garth Brooks. Aren't they a bit past it? I'm sure he probably applies the same to Elton John for next summer. Aren't they all has bins? Why would you pay full price for something out of date? You're paying huge price for a concert for. Someone who's past it, effectively was Pat saying. Tracy would like to see Guns N' Roses. Read that out. I said, "Who, if you had your choice in the world, would you like to see?" I agree. We only get old bands and acts here. Did you, did you hear Bruce Springsteen singing at 9/11? He was awful. He's in his 70s. His voice is gone. He's not in his 70s just yet. He's 67 or 8. I think maybe 69. He certainly hasn't gone north of 70. Just yet. And he wasn't great at nine eleven to be honest. But then again, he has sold out three months on Broadway. Hey, PJ, I'd love to see Bob Seeger, Steely Dan, The Cars, The Cores as well. My favourite at the moment, ELO. I'd love them all my life, all those bands, says Anne. Oasis or Underworld would be cool, says Brian. I'm bringing my 12 year old daughter to the Queen tribute next week. We'd love to see them live. She loves them. Susan, I'm going to see. That's um, Flash Harry. I, myself and my boy are going to see Flash Harry for the sixth time. I'm telling you now, the sixth time. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. I'd never miss it. I did see the original Queen back in the day in Slain. Best day out ever. But uh, Flash Harry does a great show. You'll enjoy that. Led Zeppelin. My goodness me. See, I'm not hearing too many people shouting about Dua Lipa or Justin Bieber. Or, or, or anybody like that, yet. 1850-715-996. Ah, pink, says Caroline Hyde. Yes, pink. I, I think the boys and girls on the proc would love to see pink as well. Can we
1: just talk?
5: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Courts
5: 96 FM. Ah, uh, hey PJ, it says on Google... Bruce Springsteen is 71. Okay. Okay. Maybe I've been a bit out of touch with his age during the pandemic. (laughs) Okay. He looks well on it. If I look half as well as that. When I'm 71. 1850, Speaking of music, Cork ninety-six FM's local hero, Talent Search, has just been launched with Hot Press. And we're reaching out to you if you're a band, or a hip-hop act, or a rapper, or a DJ, or a singer-songwriter. You could be featured live on Cork's 96 FM, like if you're the next Shane Cod, how meteoric meteoric has his rise been, or Lyra, or Picture This. We want to hear from you. Here is your opportunity. It's part of Irish Music Month in October on independent radio right across the country. We're looking for your music demos email an mp3 to irishmusic at 96fm.ie. And we know the depth and breadth and wealth of talent that there is across Cork City and County in all kinds and all genres of music. An incredible amount of talent out there. Frightening amounts of talent in Cork. Now is your chance. mp3 to irishmusic at 96fm.ie. As an overall prize fund of €5,000 you'll get your record released and have it played on independent radio stations across Ireland. That's part of Irish Music Month proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and Hot Press with IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. So if you are a band or a solo performer or a songwriter fellow with a guitar or whether you have a whole orchestra behind you get your stuff in now. MP3 files to Irish music at 96fm.ie There's a, a comment I'm not too sure what you mean Bernie but I'll read it for you anyway We're a great country for funerals says Bernie, but we're hopeless and grieving Thank you Now lots of women are attempting to return to work at the back of the pandemic We More and more people, we look at the figures every week Thankfully more and more people getting an opportunity to go back to work. Uh, and women in particular uh, looking to go back to work, not just who were out because of the pandemic, but who were out because they've had a baby or whatever, they've been out running a family, out of work for a long time and they want to get back. And it is said many times that it is harder for a woman to get back into the workforce than it is for a man to get back into the workforce for any number of reasons. But there's help there. Gillian McGrath is founder of Change Grow Succeed and she's a life coach. Gillian good morning.
13: Good morning PJ and thanks so much for inviting me on the show today.
5: Delighted. It is more difficult for a woman to get back into the workforce after a breakaway than a man. That's a fact isn't it at this stage?
13: Well I'm not sure if it's an actual fact, but I can be absolutely sure that that's the perception out there. Um, I have spent the last two decades working with, working with and supporting many, many women and men in their pursuit to return to the workplace after a career break. And and like you said, and there's many reasons for this, um, for some it was maybe to take care of a a baby, Um, maybe it was taking care of elderly relatives, maybe it was due to injury or an accident. Um, And people who really want to return to the workplace, it it can be really, really challenging. Um, But I definitely see with women, they, they, they are more stuck and hold themselves back a lot PJ that's true.
5: They hold themselves back how?
13: Mm. Well what I see with more women than men that I coach they're more likely to have I mean what we call self-limiting beliefs or they have told themselves expired stories such as gosh I'm irrelevant um, I'm too old to start again and um, Gosh, sure, I have nothing really to add. So women will tell themselves these stories and they become beliefs and these beliefs are actually keeping them stuck, if that makes sense. They, they
5: tell themselves this, but do yeah. those, are those feelings promoted by people around them or is it just something that they sit and brood about?
13: In my experience, in the main, it's self-sabotaging. So it's women who are telling themselves these stories um because That's again sad. pj you know it is very very sad um absolutely and it it, it has an enormous impact you see for for men not, not just women but for men anyone who um comes out of the workplace and who wants to get back the, the confidence is is a real it, it's a real barrier the lack of confidence um But I suppose how I like to help people is I the the first thing we do is is to get them looking at their mindset. To get them looking at those expired stories and challenge them. Mm. And help them refocus um and their mindset and help them move forward. There's
5: a term you use there I've not heard before, expired stories.
13: Mm. What's that mean? Yeah. So an expired story is a story that may have been true in your past, but it's no longer serving you. I see. So as, as an example, um, you might have told yourself that, oh, I, I can't think on my feet because I was in a meeting 10 years ago and I was asked a question and I gave a terrible answer. Mm. So now I believe that I can't think on my feet. So any job spec I see where it requires a bit of initiative or ability to think on their feet, I'll rule that out because... I can't do that.
5: Women are terrible. Some women are terrible for beating themselves Mm. up, aren't they?
13: Yeah, no, for sure. And I I run a lot of programs on empowering women and women in leadership. And for sure, how women and men engage in the workplace is different. And there are, would you believe, there are habits that are really unique to women. More women than men, not every single woman, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, But more women than men that, that do hold them back. So, um, yeah, I've made it. It's, it's my passion, PJ, supporting women and men in their return to the, work, um, to mm. the workplace after a career break.
5: There's probably people um, listening I... to us right now who are agreeing with a lot of what you said and nodding quietly and sadly to themselves over a coffee. Mm. They would love to get back to work. They, they, they know they want to. They know the opportunity is there, mm. but they just don't have... what's the word I'm looking for? They don't don't have the motivation to take step one, so so what Mm. should they do?
13: Well, I think, and we've just touched on it, the first thing there is to look at your mindset, because your mindset is key. If you're telling yourself that you're redundant, you're irrelevant, you've no confidence, that's not, that as a mindset isn't really going to serve you. Mm. So when I'm working with clients, I would encourage them to get curious, get curious about themselves, get curious about who they are in September 2021 and what it is they want from a job. And I'd also encourage them to think about what they can bring. So for example, if you've been out of the workplace for a number of years due to accident or injury because you've been caring for a family or caring for elderly relatives, you're probably going to be extremely resourceful and creative yeah. You're probably brilliantly organised. You're probably really Good. hungry yeah. and ambitious for yourself. You've got Do multi-skilling
5: you know so? licked. If you've raised a child 100%. to school, you've got multi-skilling licked.
13: Licked. Oh, down to a T, down to a T. Um, and quite often that difference can be a strength in the workplace. You know, you're coming in you're hungry, you want to do well, you're mature, you have life experience. So they're all real value adds and recognized value adds in the workplace. So looking at your mindset, that would be the first thing. Now, the second thing I would always advocate and how I support my clients is to do an audit, um, which sounds funny, but an audit of their interests, Mm. an audit of their skills, their professional experience. And I suppose, When I'm working with clients, they'll say my interests, like how is that relevant? And I'd always say, well, what it is that you want from a role now in September 2021 could be well different to what you wanted from a job back in 2011 Mm -hmm. or 2015 and helping people understand that we're products of a very dynamic environment and life happens and our priorities change. So it's very important if you want to go back into the workplace that you are honoring where you're at now Mm -hmm. and of course doing an audit of your skills your strengths and your talents like I'll ask clients you know what puts fire in your belly or what do you love learning about is it better better to have
5: someone close to you maybe write a list because it's very hard to adjudicate yourself (laughs)
13: <laughs> it is. I'm laughing because it, that that's so true. I mean, people say to me, ah, you're not going to give me a blank piece of paper now and ask me to fill it, are you?" Because nothing can be more terrifying, particularly if you know these are not really questions we tend to ask ourselves. Um, what I would say is, there's some really good resources out there. Um, actually, I, I'll I'll put them I'll put them on my website, PJ. I'll send them to you. But okay. um, careersportal.ie is a really good resource and a, it's a, a point of reference I refer to with clients to do an audit of, let's say, transferable skills. Um, they, they, they have great and they're free, right? So yeah. it's kind of self assessments that you can do for free and they're really good. But otherwise, I mean, yes, a, a trusted friend could help, but I, yeah. I would say if this is new to you, you it's well worth investing in someone who has experience in this, um, but but for now, people can go online. As I said, there are resources there, and I I will I'm more than happy okay. to share those with
5: your, you. Your website is what Gillian.
13: Uh, www.changegrowsucceed.com.
5: Okay. All right. Listen. Good talking to you on the opinion line, and good luck to anyone who's trying to get back into the workplace. That's Gillian McGrath, founder of Change Grow Succeed.
3: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
1: With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie
3: Cork's Gold Emerald Award-winning sports show. Right right here.
1: Score on Cork's 96FM. Join me,
5: Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on a busy weekend of Gaelic Games action while in the Premier League. Man U travel to West Ham and Tottenham face Chelsea in a London derby.
4: Right here, right there.
5: Join Trevor Welch for The Score this Sunday from 2 p.m.
1: With Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right now.
5: On Corks 96 FM. Right, just before we go, we've got an alternative viewpoint on the restrictions in maternity hospitals. To Linda Kelly earlier on this morning, who was saying, "Look, they're still continuing despite the minister and the uh, chief medical officer saying they shouldn't have to continue." Before we go, Fiona, we did get a a comment in there from somebody.
0: Yeah, that's right PJ. This uh, person contacted us and she wanted to remain anonymous but it is an alternative view. She says, Hi PJ, just on the subject of everyone giving out about partners not being allowed into hospital etc. I recently spent nine weeks before the birth of my baby in hospital. I'm not sure why people who are only attending for scans or staying for a couple of days are giving out about partners not being allowed in. I for one, along with my fellow long stay patients were grateful to the hospital for keeping us who are already at high risk safe. We had COVID tests every Wednesday. The last thing we needed was every Tom, Dick and Harry traipsing in and out. I shared a room with multiple women who were in for a night or two, whinging their partners weren't allowed in. I had 22 roommates in three weeks. That was risk enough, never mind doubling that number with partners. All the people giving out about it were not long-stay patients, therefore not at immediate risk to mother or baby's life. I, for one, cannot thank the hospital enough for keeping me and my baby as safe as possible. And at the end of the day, that was more important than my partner attending any scans or visiting.
6: Wow. So there you go.
0: Yeah, that's strong a- words from that lady, but definitely a different view to the view that we've been hearing a lot over the last mm. couple of months, do you know?
5: What we might do is we might run that again in the morning and see what people think, because that's a very interesting, and like you said, a very much terms review fee. Thanks for that. Just before we go, a quick reminder to you that you can join Trevor Welsh again this Saturday for Premier League Live uh, from midday. On 96 m.e powered by Talksport. Live coverage this weekend of Wolves against Brentford at 12:30, Liverpool versus Crystal Palace at three, and Aston Villa take on Everton at half past five. All of the analysis from Trevor and the team, as well as the post-match breakdowns. It's the Premier League live online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. It's your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. We'll definitely let you hear that viewpoint again uh, first thing in the morning uh, because it raises points that have not been raised before on that particular discussion into maternity restrictions. But that's it for today. The programme edited by Fiona and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine.
1: Can we just talk?
5: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now.
9: 0833-969696. On Courts 96 FM.